Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We are going to jump back into our series on spiritual warfare and the battle we're living in, understanding evil. And uh, so I want you to turn with me to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. We're going to look back at that one. Now, just a little bit of review, uh, just for those who weren't here for our other installments, kind of give you a little backstory on where we're at here. Uh, we talked about that the, the Second Temple Jewish theologians had a theology that looked at three entrances of evil rather than just one. As modern evangelicals, we recognize the one entrance of evil, and that was the fall of Adam and Eve in Eden, uh, and that's where man, man's nature became fallen. Uh, and we understand that, but the Jewish people also had two other episodes or entrances of evil within their theology. One of them we're somewhat familiar with, and that is the, uh, so Genesis 3 is the one that we're understand, we understand, where Adam and Eve sinned, but Genesis 6, it says, where the sons of God entered into the daughters of men, uh, and out of these, this union came the Nephilim, the giants of old. Uh, and so... Uh, there's different theologies on that. There's, what I was taught was that was the sons of Seth going into the sons of, of, uh, of Abel, or of Cain rather, and, and that was, you know, and so they, they demythologize it and just kind of take the supernatural out of it. But the early church believed that was where demons came from, that demons were the disembodied spirit of this, this half-breed race and that these sons of God actually were they were watchers, and we see the watchers show up in the book of Daniel. Uh, you remember Dan, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and this, this angelic creature that he refers to as a watcher comes to him and pronounces judgment on him. Uh, there's several episodes in there. Uh, and so throughout Scripture, we see this term, the sons of God, the, the first chapter of the book of Job, where it says the sons of God gathered and thus Satan, in the Hebrew it says, thus Satan was among them. And the Lord says to thus Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. Uh, and so this son, these sons of God were these angelic or these, these supernatural creatures. They were not human beings. We see this show up in a number of passages. And so then we have the third entrance of evil that we often don't talk about, and that is the rebellion of these creatures known as Elohim. Now let me just, let me just pause there, or sons of God, or these ruling spirits. Now we're going to look at that and give you a little background. I want to I root this in Scripture because this is important for us to understand. In order for us to function and fulfill our purpose, we want to study the whole scriptures. Amen? We want to know what the Bible says on these subjects. And so we're going to look at that. But uh, the, 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 I was taught in Bible school that Elohim was a title for God. How many of you just had been taught that? That's, that's what I was always taught. But if you look at the scriptures, you find out that this term Elohim is used of a number of different types of beings in scripture. Even uh, Samuel, when, when the witch of Endor called him forth. Now, there, there's a problem passage. Uh, you know, we're not going to get into that whether that was Samuel or whether it wasn't. We're not going there. As much as I'm being pulled, we're not going there. Uh, but the fact is, he was, he was called an Elohim. So an Elohim, the Elohim is a title of a of spiritual residence or a type of being it's not it's not a class in the sense of god being the only elohim i was taught that and so i was always intrigued by psalm chapter 8 if you've been around here more than 5 years you know that's one of my favorite passages what is man that thou art mindful of him the son of man that thou would visit him you uh Put glory and honor, you, you made him a little lower than, the, the New Testament says angels, but the Old Testament says Elohim. It's like, well, what's the deal? Which one's right? Uh-huh. And it's because of our misinterpretation of this verse, Elohim, or this concept of Elohim. So there are beings, there's a class of being, it's a spiritual entity uh, and so there are classes of beings, types of spiritual beings that we need to be aware of in Scripture. God put it in there for a reason. I was telling Kathy, I, I uh, was on this Facebook group that uh, deals with a certain subject. And so 
They were, they were all excited that this one pastor of this large church was preaching on this subject. I thought, I'm, guy, guy has about 15,000 people in his church. I thought, I wonder how he dealt with this. I listened to it, and I told Kathy, I was, I was so irritated. Because he was like apologizing that the Bible's actually supernatural. And he was saying, could it be that when people struggle with addictions and, and there's things, bad things are happening, could it be that it's not just happen chance that possibly there are intelligent evil beings coming into play? And I'm like, yeah! <laughs> and we, we dance around that stuff because it's, we're uncomfortable. Around here, we're just weird. We're not uncomfortable with it. But we need to understand these things because we, Paul said, you wrestle not with flesh and blood. Your real battle is not flesh and blood, but with against principalities and powers, rulers of this dark age over this present darkness, authorities and powers. You're engaging them whether you know it or not. You're better off knowing it. Ignorance is not bliss in this scenario. And so we need to understand these things. And so there's this other rebellion that took place in Scripture that we see alluded to in Psalm 82, and it's really the Old Testament backdrop for what the New Testament refers to as principalities and powers. And so we need to understand this because all three of these entrances are these episodes of evil, these three falls, if you will. Each one of them involves different entities and also requires of us a different response. I'm not going to get into this other than to say, the first one, I can't rebuke my flesh. I, I was born in sin because of our great-great-grandma and grandpappies, uh, Adam and Eve, their sin, and we were born into sin, and we've got to contend with that nature. We have a new nature, but it, uh, at times it wants to rear its head. We talked about that, how to deal with that. Uh, or, you know, as much as I want to deal, begin to deal with it again, it's because it's so important, we just need to know. You can't rebuke that. You've got to deal with it. You've got to be discipled. You've got to mature. You've got to deal with your woundedness. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to heal your emotions so that that old nature doesn't have an avenue to manifest itself. You don't rebuke it. You don't cast it out. You discipline your new man, your, your spiritual man, is going to manifest in your physical man, and it comes through the conduit of your soul, and that's where the problem is. So you got to, discipleship happens in the soul, so deal with it, okay? So we got to, if we don't understand that, then we're trying to, you know, cast out our own character. It ain't going to work. Number two, you don't counsel a demon. The second fall resulted in demons. You don't sit and counsel a demon. I've tried. Seriously. Try to have a conversation with a demon. Don't work. Uh, it's, matter of fact, it's highly irritating. Uh, I don't have conversations with demons. When, I, when I'm dealing with someone with a demonic issue, I don't ask for information from a demon. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're liars from the beginning. I don't, I don't ask for information. And so we just deal with, what we do is we tell that thing to be quiet so we can get information from the individual needing deliverance. And so we deal with that so that we can get them free. So this needs to be cast out. You don't discipline a demon. You don't counsel a demon. You don't try to disciple a demon. Some of you have tried. Some of you, lights go, oh, that's been the problem. Yes. So, okay. The third one, this third entrance of evil, now we're dealing with a different level of evil. When we talk about Ephesians chapter 6, principalities and powers, rulers of this dark age, cosmocrators is what the Greek is. Doesn't that sound wild? Cos cosmocrators. It, uh, it means rulers, world rulers. They have a world reach that are overseeing this present darkness, this skotos that we talked about uh, the last couple, you know, two weeks ago, about this darkness that darkens the mind so people can't see the truth. And they're groping about and they can't connect the dots between their actions and the consequences. We're seeing that on the evening news every night. It's all over TikTok. You want to see some confusion and some skotos? Get on Facebook. There's some skotos going on out there. People don't connect their actions with the consequences, and they're wanting to be relieved of the consequences while they coddle the actions. And so 
Though, you know, there, there's a lot of darkness. But what's going on is there's these operatives, these rogue entities in the spiritual realm that need, that, that we're contending with. Paul says we wrestle with. But we don't cast them out. In fact, you'll never see Jesus addressing these principalities and powers. He cast out devils. And one of the reasons is because they had not yet been unseated. Jesus unseated them at the cross. They have been defeated. However, we need to understand, although they've been defeated, they need to be unseated. We need to, we need to remove them. We need to contend and we need to remove them from their place. The, 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 the victory of Jesus is a legal victory. But there's still a lot of cleanup to do. A lot of times preachers, including this one, will use this, this uh, illustration. There was, in World War II, there was D-Day. And we had to establish a presence uh, on the, the coastline of France. We had to once again put our feet on that continent and begin to move in. And the Germans knew and the Allied forces knew. Once we got a beachhead, Essentially, the war was over. However, the bloodiest battles were fought afterwards. Because even though they knew it was all of, there's no way that they could keep hold of this thing. They fought tooth and nail to keep the little that they had. And it's a very similar situation. If you see this in the book of Joshua. Joshua, Moses has died. God says, okay, Joshua, it's time to quit grieving your spiritual father. I've got a job for you to do. You're going to go into the promised land. And he tells him, everywhere you put your foot is yours. Man, that's a good word. Whoo, glory. However, we've got to understand what that word meant. It is yours legally. It's yours potentially. But it's not yet yours actually. You've got to go and take what has already been given to you. And it's a picture of our spiritual reality. And if we don't understand that, we can fall into what I call charismatic bravado. Slinging hash. Making you know, big sweeping statements, but the reality is not showing up in our life. We lay claim to things that we're not really walking in. And the fact is, Jesus has won the victory, but it's ours to go in and register this victory. We've got to take the ground that he won. And a lot of this goes back to a, a true understanding of what kingdom is. We think of kingdom as a place, as a geographic location that is not how the Bible uses this term. The Greek word is basileia. And what it really means is the king's right to rule. I've, I've talked about this recently where, uh, you know, in Spanish, if Howell was here, he'd say, you're right, pastor. Uh, in Spanish, the, the word we translate kingdom is reino, reign, the reign of God. And it's a better translation, it's a more vivid translation than what we use. Really, the, the word kingdom means king's dominion. That's, it's a compound word, kingdom. And so the kingdom of God, when it comes, it's God bringing his dominion. But we have to follow through. So what Jesus did on the cross is purchased the legal right for us to go in and take what is ours. But the, the enemy exercises squatter's rights, and we have to unseat him. And there is a wrestling match that takes place. And if we don't understand that, then we live in this, we, we, can, we can get into some weird cosmology. So let's, let's look, so what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at how do we deal with principalities and powers. And we may not get through this all today, we might have to extend our series into the future, uh, and it won't be next week. But, uh, we're, but I want to I look at this because this is an important distinction. We're not dealing with, it, when we're talking about principalities and powers, we're not talking about low-level demons, uh, these, these 
uh, disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, these rogue entities on the earth that were, uh, that were, the, the early church looked at them as sentenced to the earth. We're looking at these rulers in the spiritual realm. Where did they come from? By how did they come to their position and how do we deal with them now that they've rebelled? Those are the questions we need to understand because you don't deal with them the same way. Jude says that Michael himself told the principality, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't just go in there and say, I rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. It, Michael's got some mojo. I mean, that, he's one bad dude, okay? So we need, to, we need to pause there and realize that we don't just sling hash, that we need to understand our role so that we can deal with these entities the way God would intend, okay? Did we pray? Because I really feel the need to pray. Father, Lord, I ask that you would instruct us this morning. Lord, that you would teach us. Lord, expand our understanding. And Lord, we want to be a people. We want to be a house that is firmly anchored in your book. And so, Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room this morning, that your teaching would fall like rain. Lord, I ask that even now, Lord, that there would be verses that would come to people's minds and they would begin to take notes that they would chase down later, that you would speak to them things that either I forgot to say or I don't even know yet, but you're going to show them. And Lord, we ask that you would teach us as a people, as a house, so that we can fulfill your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get into this passage. Psalm 82, verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV, and you could read it out of a bunch of different translations. It's essentially the same thing. So I didn't choose one because it's got my pet interpretation. Verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. Uh, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. It's a, a body, a, a, an administrative or governing body, a council, Okay. And we'll go into a Hebrew word study on that in a moment. In the midst of the gods, little g, he holds judgment. Now, depending on what translation you read, some translations will have the little quotes, gods, you know, as if, you know, kind of to, to call into question, you know, like this is a, we're just talking about, you know, kind of uh, what other people call gods, but God doesn't call gods. The word is gods. It's Elohim. Uh, so God Elohim has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. But in the Hebrew, it's very clear. The first one is a distinct, a singular. The second one is plural. And so we, we use that terminology and we get nervous with it because we, we automatically assign a set of ideas to this term God. Uh, but it, it's not talking about uncreated beings. It's talking about created beings. That's why... The Old Testament calls God the most high God. If there were no other little g gods, that wouldn't be much of a compliment, would it? You say, Dave Olson is the most handsome 58-year-old guy on the platform. Well, that's not much of a compliment. I'm the only guy up here. You know, that's not saying anything. When we say that God is the most high God, in com comparison to what? These other little g gods. They're created beings, but God bestowed upon them a high level of authority and uh, uh, honor in his created order, okay? Hang with me here. I know this, you're thinking, Pastor, he's a heretic. No, it's here in the Word. Uh, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgments, holds judgment. And now, we're going to hear what the Lord says. Now, let me just pause there. If you go back up... Uh, all, virtually all translations, because it is part of the scripture, it says this is a psalm of Asaph. It's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was an interesting dude. Asaph was, uh, it says in 2 Chronicles 28, or 29 rather, 30, that he was a seer, that he prophesied under the direction of King David in 1 Chronicles 25 too. Some believe him to be the grandson of the prophet Samuel which is interesting, this generational influence that came down through his life. He was among three musicians who led the prophetic intercessory worship of the tabernacle of David. Uh, if you really want to learn about Asaph, talk to Rick Erwin. He's got some fascinating... I've, I've called Rick on this several times. It's just fascinating. Because uh, Rick is, 
you know, very similar. This psalm is an example of material that simply would not have been possible to know without a revelatory encounter from God. Because listen to what it's saying. It's saying that God gathered this council of these spiritual beings and he sat down. He convened these beings and he rebukes them. He, he, calls, he calls them to order and he begins to rebuke them for not fulfilling their role. How did Asaph know that happened? Asaph had a revelatory encounter in which the Lord allowed him to see. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you see this phrase show up. Psalm, I want to say it's Psalm 28. Let me see if I, if I wrote that down. Psalm 28, uh, or not Psalm, uh, Jeremiah 28. Uh, I don't know where it's at. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up in a minute here. But uh, Jeremiah 28 uses this phrase, and there's several other places, where it talks about he who has stood in the council of the Lord. And the word is C-O-U-N-C-I-L, not S-E-L. Now, the fact is, sometimes those will be translated interchangeably by some because they're uncomfortable with council. And they are very related because you go into his council to get his counsel. The where you get the info is you get into the meeting. And this is relevant to you and I. Because although in the New Testament this was closed, and a prophet was one who it said stood in the counsel of the Lord. Some scholars believe, and I, I, I think they're probably right, that one of the criteria to be a prophet, a legit prophet in the Old Testament, would be one who stood in the council. You look in Isaiah, when Isaiah was called, that was a divine council scene. And Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It rocked him to his toenails and shook him to his teeth. And he was called to be a prophet from then on. But he had this encounter in the council. And so Asaph, and it says he is a prophet, he's a seer. He was brought into this this scenario where he has this vision of what's really going on. And it's God the creator, the most high God, gathers this council and he rebukes them for what they they were not doing. And he assigned them. So what does he say? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Think about that, he says. Give justice, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And then in verse 5, it shifts gears, and I believe it's a reference to these weak and needy, destitute people in need of deliverance. He says, they, speaking of the weak and needy, have neither knowledge or understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So let's back up for a minute. The rebuke gives us an indication of their responsibility. What he rebukes them for not doing is the flip side of what he assigned them to do. This was their role. It was an administrative governing role. Now what does that have to do with us? Well, there's there's a lot of things that has to do with us. But among them, let me just pull up something here. I'm so sorry. Oh, here it is. Okay. Here's here's a couple things. This worldview was prevalent in the ancient world, okay? This was no mythology, mind you. It was the oral history of those to whom God had revealed how he rules. This was clearly the view of not only the Hebrew writers of the Old Testament, but but also of the surrounding nations of the ancient people. And so you see this, this worldview in many of the ancient writings of these, the, the surrounding culture around the Hebrew people. But it wasn't some mythology that they adopted. This was by revelation that God gave to his people. Now, why is this important? Number one, it helps us understand mysterious or problem passages in the Old Testament. Like this one, Psalm 82, which for years I just read over and thought, well, that's weird, let's move on. So what is this divine counsel? 
Why would God even need one? Well, the answer is he doesn't. Any more than he needs you or I. Any more than he needs angels. I remember talking to a, 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 an old pastor one time, a, an elderly pastor, about angels, and he said, well, I don't, I don't think that's what angels do. He said, why would God need angels? I said, I don't think he does, but we can't ignore the fact that he uses them. Number two, it grants us insight into how he rules. God delegates. Authority is foundational to his kingdom. Now, if we don't have that as a backdrop, then there's going to be a lot of things we misunderstand. And, and it inevitably pulls us into a theological category called cosmology. The cosmology is how the cosmos works. And your cosmology will have a controlling effect on how you live your Christian life. Those with the co- an overly simplistic cosmology will find themselves coming up against not only some problem passages, but insufficient. In there, there, There's two forms of an overly simplistic cosmology. Some people think that God micromanages every little detail of human existence and in the cosmos. Anybody got a word for that? Someone want to yell it out? Yeah, sovereignty, or, yeah, it's under the the heading of Calvinism that interprets sovereignty as God, uh, uh, what's micromanaging everything. Like, everything that happens has been not only allowed by God, but intentionally orchestrated by him. So that everything that happens is God's will, and God's will always happens. Well, if that's the cosmology you buy into, that is going to undermine, if nothing else, your prayer life. Because you're going to be hard-pressed to really get yourself up early and stay in the prayer closet when you think your prayers really don't matter because God's will is going to happen anyway. Everything that happens is God's will, and God's will always happens. So why am I praying other than to get intimate with God? And I can do that later, (laughs) is what my mind would think anyway. As I'm saddled with the responsibility that I've got to enforce his purposes in the earth as a co-regent, as one who rules and reigns with him, as a God who exerts his rule through layers of delegates. God delegates to delegates. There are layers of rulers just like, and when God adopts this language of, an, of kingdom, when he's speaking to an ancient people, when an ancient king who had, you know, outlying areas, he hears that one went into rebellion, he didn't say, well, doggone it, get my horse, I'm going to go over and take care of that. The king didn't go out and do that himself. He ruled over delegates and he would send a general or a vassal ruler to go and bring that kingdom back into subjection to him. And we see the same thing in Scripture. That there are layers of delegates, including you. God's will is done through you. Furthermore, God's will is done through delegates who are imperfect. You know, touched by an angel had it right. (laughs) That sometimes angels mess up. I don't think they look like Monica, but you know, they, they, they might, I don't know. But you know, sometimes they mess up. There are layers of delegates that some of which have rebelled. And so when we pray, you see Daniel praying to God in heaven. Goes on the original Daniel fast, the 21-day fast. Daniel's praying for 21 days, and all of a sudden an angel breaks through on the 21st day. His halo's bent, his his wings are ruffled. (laughs) He said, man, I, I took off the day you started praying. He said, but I had to fight the prince of Persia. Who's the prince of Persia? It's what we're talking about. And God didn't just show up to Daniel in person. All right, Daniel, when you started praying, I wanted you, I felt like you needed to lose a little weight, so I waited till the 21st day. You're looking good, by the way, son. Uh, but anyways, here's what you were asking. That's not what happened. He sent an angel, a delegate, to fight through the opposition in the spiritual realm. The reticence or the resistance was not in the heart of God. The angel said, I was sent the moment you started fast, and that day I was on my way. God was more than willing 
The resistance was not in the heart of God. It was in the resistance in the heavenly realms fighting through a prince of Persia, a principality, one of these rogue entities that had rebelled against God. And Daniel had to keep praying until the thing broke through. And Daniel didn't get to day five and say, man, I'm really hungry. Must not be God's will. Again, the resistance was not in the heart of God. And if we don't understand these things, if we don't take the word serious, if we are like that pastor that say, could it be that there's an evil entity that has intelligence? Duh! <laughs> it's in the word. And we need to understand what these th- what's going on. And so there are, these, there, there are these principalities in the heavenly realms that are resisting. So then that, the question, the obvious question to me is, how did they get there? Who made them boss? Who put them over regions? Because the implication of the word principality, it's like we get the word municipality. It's uh, a pality is a a geographically distinct area. That's why the prince of Persia was called the prince of Persia. It's not the prince of that vaguely that area of the earth. It had a distinct name assigned to a distinct kingdom. There were, there's geographic boundary lines to the spiritual realm. Just as there are geographic boundary lines distinct to the physical realm. And there are ruling spirits that try to exert rule from literal thrones in the heavenly realm. Now Colossians speaks to this. Let's, let's pause for a moment and go to Colossians uh, Matter of fact, let me look it up here because I don't want to have to close that. Look at Colossians chapter 1. You know what? I bet it will change my, it'll change what I'm reading on my laptop if I open it in that, won't it? Wonderful technology. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. And this is an interesting, this is really the resume of Jesus, okay? Paul's giving us his rundown. If like, if you're going to give your resume, this is what Paul is doing for Jesus. He's going to tell him, uh, look at, uh, oh, I'm in the Amplified. Can't read that, it'll take us all day. <laughs> you know, they do, some people have called the Amplified the female version. <laughs> hey, it wasn't me. I, I, I was just pointing. I wasn't, I don't agree with them. I'm just saying that some people do. I, those, they shouldn't. Those people. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you. John saved me. Okay, look at this. Look at verse 15. Woo, that is small. He is the, okay, this is speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him and through him all things were created. Now listen to what he he references, what God created. And and just by the way, it starts out with what he created and then what he redeemed. So he's saying it's all twice his. He was the author and then he was the redeemer. He created it. And then it went, those that, to whom he had delegated rebelled, he won it back, okay? So listen to what he says. He created all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible. He's talking about both realms, whether thrones, isn't that interesting? Or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him, by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, the firstborn, the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. And he goes in to begin to talk about how he's redeemed it all as well. But what he's talking about is this. He's saying that there are thrones, invisible, invisible. He reiterates this in other passages, that there are spiritual thrones. Matter of fact, in Daniel, it says that Daniel... Uh, I want to say it was Daniel that saw, he saw a divine council scene and he said he saw thrones, plural, and then the, the ancient of days took his throne. So there are these other rulers. The word throne literally means a seat of authority. It's used the same way we think of it. 
They are positions in the spiritual structure of the universe that are positions of delegated authority. And the person that occupies them can leverage them for their ends, their value system. And so God created these thrones. He, he, they were created by him and they were created for him. God created a universe with layers of authority. There is structure to the spiritual realm. It's not just a bunch of angels going around playing harps and then we just pray to God. We're interacting with him and then he just comes down and answers our prayer. It, this is the kingdom. And there are layers of authority. There are angels that when we pray, the Father hears our pray, prayers and sends angels on assignment to fulfill what we're praying just like he did with Daniel. And there's opposition in the spiritual realm because some of these creatures, these entities, have rebelled against the Most High. And although they've lost their authority, some of them still occupy a position that they need to be displaced through intercession. And not, they, they may have lost their authority, their authorization from heaven, but they retain the trade secrets of the kingdom. They understand things you and I do not. And that's why we need to press into the council, C-I-L, to receive the council, S-E-L. We need the council of the Lord because they're dealing on a plane that we don't understand. And it's God's good pleasure to teach them a lesson, Ephesians says, to teach these principalities and powers in heavenly places. He's going to instruct them and teach them lessons through the church. They're going to learn about him. He, I look at it as he grabs him by the nap of the neck and says, you're going to watch this. You're going to Sunday school today. Watch what the church is going to do. They, they, they're, they, they're not as smart as you. They don't know what they, you do. You think they will deny me? When they go through trials, but look at my children this morning. Look at that one. You know what she's going through this week, but look at her worshiping. And look at this one over here. And he forces them to watch. And through us, they learn about God. And they don't like it. But it's also his good pleasure to overcome darkness through the church. God's not doing it directly. He does it through a praying church that will pray to him. Engage him, he'll send his angels. We continue in prayer to overthrow evil. And there's also the, 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 uh, the ground level activity. Now, when we read Psalm 82 and what God is rebuking them on, look at what it says. It's talking about unjust systems that favor the powerful, the wealthy, the elite of society, and misuse and abuse the weak, the destitute, and the vulnerable. And God calls them to account. So what happens is when we begin to talk about systemic evil, that finds its roots in the principalities and powers. Because just like the enemy came to Jesus in his temptation, you remember that? And he offered him positions of authority in the earth. He said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus didn't challenge him and say, you don't have authority to do that, did he? He didn't question his authority. He just said, no, I'm, I won't. I'm not going to bow before him. And in fact, that offer, and it's always this way, by the way, Every temptation that you receive from the enemy at some level is actually an indication of your destiny. That's why it's tempting. He's poking on something. You say, Pastor, well, what if I'm, what if I'm attracted to drugs? I'm tempted to drugs. That's my destiny? No. The peace you are seeking through those drugs is your destiny. But the enemy is trying to lure you into a shortcut. Well, Pastor, I'm... I'm I am tempted with pornography, and that is false intimacy, but you were created to really connect with people, and you're trying to get it through a shortcut, and the enemy will always try to give you the very thing God has called you to, promising it through a shortcut, and when you get it, you don't, you're not qualified to steward it because you took the shortcut, and in actuality, the journey is what qualifies you to steward it. 
And so God doesn't take you through a shortcut. He awakens within you a vision, a sense of destiny, a desire. And if you will walk with him, he will fulfill all the desires of your heart. But it's going to be through a process. And he did the same with Jesus. He says to him, he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. It's evident from these, this scripture in Psalm 82 that these principalities, uh, they, they occupy an administrative governing role in the world and this, at least some of them are favoring the powerful elites that will bow to them and they will worship, they, th- these people will worship them and in trade then they'll give them those positions of power and authority and God is rebuking them. And so in in engaging powers and authorities in the spiritual realm, prayer is essential. We see that with Daniel. That we're enlisting the powers of heaven to come and engage in battle. Gabriel is on his way and Michael has to come and help him. Is what it was Gabriel that showed. And Michael came to help him. Michael the archangel. Archangel, arche, A-R-C-H-E, is the Greek word that we translate principalities. So Michael is a principality. He is the prince of Israel, just as there was a prince of Persia. He is the prince angel for Israel that's still loyal to God. But there are, there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm. And your prayer really does matter in this regard. But so does your activity on the earth. Because one of the ways we can overcome principalities and powers is work for justice on the earth. When unjust, corrupt people get in power, they fuel the demonic in the spiritual realm. And you see it from this passage. And the enemy loves to get wicked people into power, corrupt people. When the wicked rule, the people groan, Proverbs says. But when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. So we've got to, in our nation, we are very fortunate. One of the the most spiritual things you can do is cast your vote in an election. We can vote for righteousness. We can vote for godly ends. But we can also work on the ground level. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when, uh, I'm going to keep your Bible here, John. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when Jamie Galloway came here the first time, Jamie's a, a prophet, travels the world, uh, great young guy. Well, he's not so young anymore, but uh, when we first met him, he was. And uh, Jamie, uh, he came and he, when he came, he said, I have never spoken in Iowa. I've been longing to speak in Iowa. He said, I had a dream many years ago about the Twelves. And he said it was about a revival coming to Iowa that was 12 times greater than what we've seen. And he kept saying this. He kept saying, 12, 12, 12. And he was talking about all these Twelves in his dream. And so after he was done, I didn't know Jamie at the time. He, we, we were hosting a conference. So I went up and, and I said, Jamie, do you, do you know what our address is? He said, no. And I said, it's 1212 Northwest 36th Street. He said, that's not a coincidence. He said, you need to get ready. I said, well, what does that mean? (laughs) And he quoted me that obscure passage in Matthew where he says, if you you, you drive out the strong man and and, uh, you sweep the house clean and the enemy comes back and looks at the house and it's swept clean, set in order, but uninhabited, it will bring Seven of its friends would be worse in the end than in the beginning. He said there's not only an individual application of that, there's a regional application of that principle. That in revival, the enemy is displaced. And the Lord spoke to me. And this was the idea of what he said. He said you can actually cut people of influence off from the influence of the enemy through loving them well. If you can win their heart, then they will respond to you rather than to those principalities and powers. Love is an act of spiritual war. Honoring people, serving them well, 
keeping our attitude right. I'm, I'm, okay, I, I got a confession. I like to drive fast. I've always loved muscle cars. I love to watch shows about muscle cars. You know, I've, I, you know, when I was about 14, I wanted a ZL1. You know what that is, guys? ZL1? It's an aluminum block 427 Chevrolet. It's aluminum, so it's lightweight. And it is, it's like 700 horse stock, if I remember right. It was amazing. God never gave me one. That was a desire of my heart. But he's never given me that desire. And I would dare say it's because my maturity level has not warranted that entrustment. Okay? But even though I like to drive, I, 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 when I drive around this town, I try to really be careful and smile and give people the right of way. The other day I had my Heartland Worship Collective t-shirt on and Of you. It's going to happen to you. you. You know, people know you from church. Listen, we've got to love well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would never intentionally be a jerk, okay, but I'm capable of doing it unintentionally, and I need to be very careful. I, we had, had someone come up to me one time and say, my sister waited on you and your children at a restaurant. Your wife and your children are there. And they just kind of let it hang in the air, and I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> did something happen? And, fi- and then she said, she said, you know what she told me? I'm like, what? <laughs> she said, your children were tremendously well-behaved and you, t- uh, you tip very well. I was like, glory, <laughs> hallelujah. Because that, that matters. I didn't give her a track that looked like a 20. She'd get it, because I didn't open it up and it's, you need to get right with Jesus, you know. <laughs> Whoever thought that would be a good idea? How insulting, unless you put a 50 in there, you know. But those, we need to love people well because we can produce an influence over their lives. So we, we are in a spiritual battle. There are, there are spirits that operate within given geographic regions. We'll pick up on this in the future. We'll, we'll get back into this uh, after, you know, the next installment that I get up after this next one. And uh, we're, we're going to look at this. But uh, we need to understand that the, these te- the principalities and powers, they operate in distinct ge- geographic areas and they have an administrative role in which they try to get their people in power because they want to manifest their kingdom through them. And so we need to be engaged in prayer, but we also need to love and serve well. Chris Vallotton has this great phrase. They've served the church that he's a part of has served their city so well. One time there was, they became aware of a need in the city. They needed some type of police equipment. I don't remember what it was. They committed as a church to give $500,000 to that one need in the police department. And usually they didn't make those things public, but they made it public because they wanted to challenge the rest of the city. Let's step up and help. They, they used to tithe to the city. I don't know if they still do. They were trying to honor well. And Chris said this, he said, the rights you gain by demanding your rights will be kept by continuing to argue for your rights. They'll be defended by you arguing for them, demanding. But the rights, the access that is gained through honor will be guarded through favor. The people that you honored will actually keep the door open for you because you've, they, you, you've gotten favor with them. And I'm not talking about being manipulative. I'm talking about being Christian. I'm talking about let's carry ourselves in such a way that we exemplify Jesus in the kingdom, that we love well. It doesn't mean we need to agree with people. I don't even agree with everything I say, okay? We don't need to agree with everything. But what we do need to do is we need to honor their person, the value of who they are and their position because God created a structure. And when people occupy those positions, we honor the position 
and we want to cut them off from that spiritual influence through honor. So we'll pick up where we, we left off in the future here. We're going we're gonna to look more at this because it's very important for us to understand when we're talking a, about principalities and powers or this divine council worldview, what, what all this means. Let me just read a couple more things and then um, go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. Okay? It grants us insight into how he rules. God delegates authority. Authority is foundational to his kingdom. The, the term, the biblical term kingdom or basileia is absolutely nonsensical if there's no such thing as authority. That's what it is. It's God's right. As the author, he has authority and he authorizes others to exercise it. And when he does, it's a real thing. It's a real force that drops upon them. And it would do you well to honor what's on their life, even if you don't agree with their person, honor their position. Uh, the cosmology, this cosmology protects us from faulty conclusions, which result in danger, a dangerous resignation that results in impotence on the one hand, and an arrogant bravado which lays claim to victory not yet achieved on the other. Number three, it explains evil. It lays the responsibility for evil where it belongs. Furthermore, it reveals the governmental administrative structure through which this level of evil functions. When we begin to understand what these principalities are, we begin to realize, we, we lay the, the, the blame for evil at the feet of where it, where it belongs. God gets blamed for things that he didn't do. He's got big shoulders. He's very merciful. But it messes us up because we can actually give cover to the enemy by attributing to God what he is doing. And if it's from the enemy, we want to be at war against it. Number three, it explains, okay, it reveals the governmental administrative structure through which this level of evil functions. And number four, it defines the battle. Uh, understanding these ideas, it, in explaining the source of evil, it clarifies the nature of our struggle. It is not ultimately against flesh and blood, but rather against these ruling spirits. So we'll talk next time about, so how did they, where, where, where do we get that they, how, how did they get assigned this position and if they're assigned that position, why would we fight against them? So we'll look at that, okay? Father, Lord, I ask that you would please make sense of what I've talked about this morning. Lord, that you would continue to train us, teach us. Lord, I ask that you would instruct our hearts. I bless each one of these this morning. Lord, I, I just, uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk out with an awareness of your presence that we, when we step out this door, that we are representatives of the Most High God. Lord, help us to recognize it as much as the principalities do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.